Amen. Hello to everybody that's with us online or on the roof or here in the room. Uh, God bless you uh, for your presence here this morning. You have uh, a choice set before you for this week, and I want to encourage you to pick a particular path this morning. Here's your choice that's set before you. The odds of you having all the circumstances line up between you and everybody that you know and love and having it line up in a very idealistic, perfect way, a Norman Rockwell way, a way that allows you to sit there and go, oh, that was just the most perfect thing I've ever experienced in my life, uh, are none. There are no odds of that happening for most of us, okay? And so you have a choice. You're gonna, you can either let uh, this particular year happen to you uh, and try to survive it. You can, you can sit around and, and be very conscious of all the things that maybe you wish you had that you don't have this year, which is to kind of take the idea of Thanksgiving and turn it on its head into something more like, uh, uh, you know, belly aching or, or something like that and let it happen to you. Or you can dig deep inside into the well of spiritual resources that God has given to you and actually celebrate Thanksgiving by giving. We're going to spend our morning talking about that and all the different ways that God has given us, regardless of where we are this year, uh, to be a blessing to others. Because I think it's very easy uh, during times like this, it would be very, quote, unquote, normal to, to go ahead and, and do that. And, and so what I'm trying to do for myself is to go ahead and give myself, say, 90 good quality seconds of pouting about whatever it is and just let it happen. Let it wash over me. Hopefully there's nobody else in the splash zone when that happens. And then after that, I want to hear the voice of the Lord tell me some of the things that he's done for me. Some of the things he's done for our church this year. Some of the things that are on the hearts and the needs of others, knowing that when I give myself to others, when I pour myself out for other people, that today's promise will be found true, and, and here it is. Today's promise of God is it is more blessed to give than to receive. There are two kinds of people in the world, those who say Taco Bell properly and those who don't. If you pronounce Taco Bell with the emphasis on taco, raise your hand. Now that would, so for instance, you would say Taco Bell. Now that's actually the opposite. Taco Bell or Taco Bell. Taco Bell is emphasis on the taco. Taco Bell is emphasizing the bell, all right? Now, those of you who raised your hand and emphasized the taco, let me see your hands again. Okay, good. Uh, you're right, okay? The people that say bell and emphasize the bell are, are, are off, and they tend to be wrong about almost all of these things, right? They tend to be the same people who said Halloween, like there's an O at the beginning of Halloween, or umbrella, Umbrella? What is that? People say those things. Uh, do you say, for instance, uh, uh, Thanksgiving, or do you say Thanksgiving? I heard Marcus say it, and he's right. Uh, how about the rest of you frauds? Anybody in here that doesn't put the emphasis in the right spot? Thanksgiving, is it Thanksgiving, or is it Thanksgiving? Okay, Californians tend to say Thanksgiving. Anybody from the South will say Thanksgiving, right? Uh, the same people that say baptized, you know, or, uh, you know, and to them I say, hey, you know, happy Sunday to you, you know. They, everything seems like it's a little bit off. When you say the word Thanksgiving, it, 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 I want to encourage you today to emphasize the word giving this year. All right, here's why. Because of that promise right there. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's that time of year where we celebrate this, this holiday 
This quote actually only appears one time in the entire New Testament, in Acts 20, 35. It's not actually in the Gospels. It's Paul quoting Jesus to the elders of Ephesus. And so if you want to flip over there real quickly, we're not going to be here super long because we're going to go look at kind of some of the theology that surrounds this idea. Uh, but in Acts 20, 35, he's getting ready to say some farewell words to some men that he served alongside that he feels very, very passionate about, that, that he loves, like to the point of tears and them hugging when they say goodbye. And he knows that they're not going to see each other again. And so Acts 20 is him giving parting words. And many of those words are aimed in the same direction, which is that it's you pouring yourself out for other people, that that's the way of Christ. And when you do that, the blessings that you receive by doing that are far greater than the ones that you receive by getting things from people. So there, after going through all of this and saying, that's my way of life, he says this in Acts 20, verse 35. He says, in all things I have shown you, which is interesting, I have shown you, meaning I've lived this out in front of you that by working hard in this way, we must help, help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, why this only shows up one time in the New Testament, I mean, it shows up, the theology of it shows up everywhere, but the reason this little phrase, uh, you know, isn't found in the gospel, so the question is, all right, where did he get this from? Is it something that, that Jesus delivered to him uh, on the Damascus Road or something like that? I'm gonna go ahead and take a jump, I don't know for sure, but I think this is something he was known to have said. I, I, think, I think Jesus probably said something like this or this very thing a lot. Just like there are people who know me, know there are certain little things about Tim and certain little things that he says that, that he's just known for. So if you were doing it, you wouldn't necessarily write down those things because it's so much a part of who I am that, that that's just what he would say all the time. Now, it could be he gave it to him in another place or whatever, but what Paul says here, that promise, if you will listen to it and embrace it and let it transform you, it will change your life. It will change your life in ways that you can't possibly fathom. When we serve Christ together, just like the Ephesian elders and Paul, we learn Christ together. Paul again says, I've shown you how we must help the weak, which by the way, in context, he means both spiritually weak and economically weak. That, that saying again is, only mentioned once in Scripture, but it's all throughout the Bible. More blessed to give than to receive. What does that mean? Like when the rubber meets the road, in what ways is a person blessed? Or is it that God's opinion of them is higher? Uh, is it that they become wealthier themselves if they give? So it's like a, uh, a weird ATM where you feed money in and more comes out. Is that what he's talking about? Uh, does it mean that people are going to notice how wonderful and noble you are and all of those kinds of things? Or does it mean something else? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But let me begin with some theology, which, of course, is a fancy word of just thinking about God. Okay, the, the, the generosity of God is something that I think be, that's where it all begins. Okay, generosity is the essence of God. It's who he is. You can see it in his generosity of giving Jesus to us in its fullness. You can see the generosity of Christ, of him giving his one and only son on our behalf. But you can really see it from the very beginning of the world, Genesis 1, 3, when he gives the gift of light. I mean, really the first thing he does is speak something into existence that wasn't there before and give it to us so that we can see each other, 
right? Now, eventually, he's separating things and, and, and creating things and doing all these different things, but, but he is not just a creator. He's a giver. So what he creates, he doesn't just do kind of just for his own pleasure or else we wouldn't be here. He's doing it and creates the Garden of Eden for man and woman to enjoy. When Adam doesn't find a helper that's suitable for him, he keeps working on it until woman shows up. And Adam's like, I'm thrilled by this. This is a good call, God. And then off he goes. And then he gives them that beauty of the garden to go around naked and unashamed and enjoy his creation, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, well, that cosmic giving that God does, that desire to just help heal the sick, uh, feed those who are out of food, help people win victories in battle. All of those kinds of things that God does and as he gives, we're created in his image, okay? So we bear the divine watermark on our hearts and on our lives. So because God is generous and because we're created in the image of God, we should have a predisposition toward generosity. And the spirit of God, who is so generous that he gives us the gift of his son, also now lives in us who believe and so we should see that overflowing into different aspects of our lives. So that, that impulse that a lot of Christians have to, to simply do good. They see somebody who needs some help, they help them. They, they, they know somebody has a need and they, and they meet it. They see God working in the church and they want to be a part of that, all of that. That's all a part of bearing that divine watermark or the Spirit of God uh, living inside of them. But here's what separates God from us. God is the only person who has never received. Meaning everything that he gives, okay, anything you received came from him. Right now, your feet are on the floor, hopefully. Okay, your feet are on the floor. Who gave you the floor? The very firmament, to use a King James term, that you're walking on was given to you by God. The air in your lungs, the financial blessings to be able to buy clothes, all of that stuff, uh, if you're here, your health, things like that, all of those are gifts of God. So when I give God something, if I, if I give an offering in church or if I go help somebody in need or I do those other things, at the end of the day, what I'm doing is similar to when my kids were young and they would ask m for money so that they could buy me a Christmas present. Yeah. Okay, Dad, can I have some money? Why? Because I want to buy you a Christmas present. So I would take my money, give it to them, and then they would give it back to me. That's really what giving is. Okay, all at our best, okay, all we're doing is giving back to God what he already gave to us. Amen. And so that idea that God is actually a non-receiving giver highlights his generosity all the more. Amen. He doesn't need anything. So God and not humankind is actually the owner and giver of everything. And those who submit their lives to God's reign, they embrace it and they seek God's will in all of it. And they try to conform their desires to God's. Richard Foster voices this idea really well when he writes, God's ownership of everything changes the kind of question we ask in giving rather than how much of my money should I give to God, we ask how much of God's money should I keep. Since God gives to us freely, we give freely. Matthew 10, 8, Jesus reminds his disciples, you receive freely, freely give. Human freedom itself, right? The ability to even make a choice about such things, that's a gift of God that he gave to us. Right? The ability to make that choice instead of just programming us as robots to make that choice automatically. Okay, we are, in short, obliged to give freely. We're trustees of what God has entrusted to us. We're not owners of it. 
We've received, therefore we give. Now, um, going back to the idea of God as a non-receiving giver, here are a couple of scriptures that I think will help frame it in your mind. Uh, first, we'll go to Psalm 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Now here's one though I just preached on two weeks ago, but it bears repeating because of this line and what Paul says. Acts 17, 24, 25. He's talking to the Athenians and he says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. He doesn't have needs, he satisfies needs. That's who God is. So then he, he, he doesn't need anything from me, but he gives everything to me. Amen. So that's who God is, right? So let's go back to this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. What, what does it mean to be more blessed? Does it mean that we'll get more richer, more powerful, you know, the, the more we give? Not necessarily. I suppose we might. It's up to God's sovereign choice as to what he does there. But he just simply says that he'll bless us, that it's more blessed. Well, how might that be? Let me suggest a few ways that I've seen it work, okay? in my life and the life of our church this year as we head into Thanksgiving. I'm hoping that you're going to take some time when you leave today uh, or when you hit off today on your computer screen or television or you leave the roof, wherever you are, and do some reflection on how you've seen this at work in your life this year because it'll do you so much more good, okay, than IV dripping the toxicity around us into your bloodstream. Take the grace of God and put that in you because that will do you a lot better. So um, we're going to start with this provision, the provision of God. Uh, God makes sure that he meets the needs of those who are his. And so for this, we're going to turn over to 1 Kings chapter 17 where there's a widow there at a place called Zarephath. Uh, Zarephath. Zarephath, right? You can say that about 8,000 ways if you want. But there's the prophet Elijah. Elijah's done everything that God asked him to do. And so now he's prayed. The skies are shut. It's not raining. And so there's a famine in the land. God says, hey, Elijah, there's a brook over there. Go down there by this hidden brook that I'm going to tell you where it is. And you live there. And so you'll have water. And he sends birds to bring him food. And so here they flap their way over there and they bring him the food. And Elijah's all excited and, and feels like he's provided for. Meanwhile, okay, we know from other places in Scripture, it doesn't rain for three years. And when you're in an agricultural society like that, that's a problem. Because you got cattle, you got crops, you got all that, right? You need rain. Well, so the brook that God provides for Elijah starts to dry up. And so to the point where Elijah is very, very thirsty, and everybody in the land, there's almost no water, they have no oil, they have no flour. And so he's getting worried. So God says to Elijah, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Zarephath. Zarephath, all right? And I want you to find a widow because she's going to provide for you. Now think about this. Here's how this goes. It would be like for somebody on, you know, like myself who is starving to death or doing whatever and saying, hey, Tim, I want you to get up and I want you to go to this sketchy place and look, there's going to be a homeless guy there that's going to help you. Mm -hmm. 
mean, it's complete inversion of what you would expect. A widow in the ancient world had nothing. I mean, nothing. Well, she had less than nothing. And this particular widow has very, very little. So Elijah runs into her and he says, hey, can you spare just a few drops of water? Because I'm thirsty. And, and, and can you make me a cake that I can eat something? Listen to what she says. It says, but she said, and this is the scripture here, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. I mean, she's at the end, right? But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. So there's the provision of God at work, right? Now, but it begins with this sequence of obedience. First of all, God's not going to let Elijah starve to death, and he's not going to let that widow die. He knows what he's going to do. So he says, Elijah, I want you to get up and I want you to go find this widow. She's going to provide for you. So he asks her and she says no. Hurdle one, right? Then he says, okay. And then God tells him what to say. And he says, that jar right there will never run out. I don't know. In our world, what is that? Like the toilet paper will never run out or something, right? It's like, what is it that, that's so scarce that you just, it always runs out. You, you, just, you just can't, you know, find enough of it in times of scarcity, right? Uh, I haven't seen a can of Lysol in like 12 months, right? Lysol's gone. I don't even know what happened to the good people at Lysol. But, you know, the scarcity things, this is life and death. And yet, God provides for both of them a resource that will never run out. How can he do that? Because it's all his, that's why. Amen. Like his, his barn never runs out. That's the place that nothing ever runs out. And this is the guy that tells the sun when to go up in the sky and to sit down every day. He doesn't run out. And so this widow and Elijah, the prophet, figured this out. It happens again in the New Testament, right? Masses gathered to hear Jesus preach. Masses. They're gathered there. They're ready to hear Jesus preach, but they're out of food. There's one kid there, five loaves, two fish. Apostles go, oh, looks like there's just enough for us. You better send everybody home. Not the heart of a pastor, really. You're supposed to say, let them eat, and we'll, we'll go hungry. That's not what they say. We better send everybody home because we're out of food. Jesus says, give them to me. So he gives it to them, and then next thing you know, not only is everybody fed, but they're picking up baskets of leftovers after the fact, right? So right there is what you see, and it happens all the time. I watch it happen all the time in the lives of people. In this church, outside this church, I've seen it happen in my own life, that his provision is just the most, one of the most powerful and predictable things you will ever find. Amen. He has it all, he cares for us all, and he loves giving. Right. Okay, so that's who our God is. So when we give thanks to God for it, that's 
One of the things that we give for, give thanks for is his provision. Number two, giving is just greater than getting, meaning it's more fun. It's more fun. Many people never really know what it's like to trust God because they've never really trusted him before. They've never taken themselves out to hang ten on the edge of what they can possibly see themselves doing and then taking another step. And as a result, you miss watching God's hand move in miraculous ways in the world. I mean, just things that blow your mind. You just go, what? Like, and, and then you, all you can do is put your head down and put your hands up and say, God is so good. Amen. I mean, it's just, it's breathtaking to watch him work. Two stories that you probably aren't going to hear another time, all right, in the history of this church. Two, both this year. Because we all have, we've all kind of cumulatively agreed that 2020 is useless, right? And God's abandoned the planet. So let me go ahead and drop a couple of stories in here. You tell me if you think any of it's good. First one, let's go to about the end of January, maybe 1st of February. I'm at an intersection over here, Center City and Grand, heading to the freeway, turning left to go to the I-15 freeway and go north. I get a text from my wife saying, call DJ. DJ says, hey, call me. And normally, just by the way, if they don't tell me in the text what it is, it's always bad news, okay? It's like, oh, geez, somebody died. Somebody's trying to split the church. Somebody's, you know, I don't know, suing me personally for, I don't know what it is. It's just gonna be bad, okay? And this is, by the way, this is the mood before COVID hits, right? This is before, this is February, uh, or right before. And we go in, I called, I called DJ, and he goes, hey, man, you're not going to believe this. Now, this is, by the way, at this point in our life, we're getting ready to, to leave the Center for the Arts and go to uh, 355 Grand. And the offices of the church were already there, all right, temporary. We just moved in. And he says, yeah, this guy comes in. He says, uh, yeah, you know, I, I used to go to NBC several years ago. Uh, we were only here for a few months. Um... And he says, so I went down, I saw the, you know, back then this was just beams, if that. So I wasn't much here. And he says, and I looked at the project, and he says, just want to say, keep up the good work. This church meant a lot to me while I was here. He's relocated to the East Coast. And he says, so here you go. Gives DJ a check. Okay. And then he turns around and walks out. Jesus says, thanks. Okay. So now keep in mind, at this point, right, this is where... To go back to the Elijah story, the brook is getting dry. That's right. And we have no idea how dry it's going to get right. because we don't know COVID's coming a month later, two months later. Comes a checkup, it's $20,000. Oh Guy walks in, turns around, takes off. It's like, well, and he goes, <laughs> I sat there and both of us were kind of quiet on the phone. I was like, Praise right? You just go, I don't know how you explain that. I mean, you just go, I mean, look, I, I, I've been in ministry for 25 years. I've never had anything like that happen. Okay? I, I hear other people talk about it, but I've never had it anywhere I've been. Right? And I'm sitting there and I'm just going, and at that point in time, that gift not only would help us get through that season, but it would help us get all the way through the malaise that we're in still. And so it's almost like God saying, hey, hey, the brook is drying up, so, so, so I'm going to send somebody your way to help you. Now, here's another one. 
Uh, I'm going to leave this one anonymous too. Uh, we're about, fast forward to maybe April. We're in the middle of COVID. Church is totally shut down. Everybody's scared to death of one another. We don't know what this thing is. We don't know how deadly it is, anything like that, right? But the future of the church is very uncertain at this point. Might, might have been first of May, somewhere in there. <sighs> Mail comes to the, to the house. I'm going through. There's a little, little card. So it's like, you remember when people used to write each other notes? Like, nobody does that anymore. It's emails, texts, something like that, but a handwritten note. Now, here's another thing, not to be overly cynical. That's also often not good news for me when I open my mail at the house. Yeah. I have opened some almost like just soaked in verbal anthrax letters in my life, okay? So I'm going, okay, but it looks like young writing. They open it up, and on the inside is this. Let's go ahead and put the picture up. Hi, it's blank. I wanted to give some offering. You can read it. Oh, wow. Next week, another one came. Same kid. Next week, another one came. And then another one. Then another one. wasn't the amount of money, right? Water comes in lots of forms. Sometimes it's fiscal. Sometimes it's kindness in a land where that's hard to find. It's bravery when everybody's afraid. It's a young person when the old people are cynical and jaded and worried. So you find yourself going, well, I kind of get what Jesus said when he says, you know, you got to become like little children in order to enter the kingdom of God. No. I hope this is helping somebody. Then, see if I can get through this one. You hear us talk about this, but we do it very generically. What God has done in our teens yeah. for the last three, four months, right? So keep in mind, these kids' lives have been totally turned over, like everybody else's, but... You know, I got a senior in high school, okay? If you're going to pick a year of your existence to not have this happen, you would avoid that one because you paid all your dues. You had to go through sixth grade. You had to go eighth grade. You had to go through all this stuff to finally get to be big man on campus, and now you're not. Now you got to go be small guy on campus if you're lucky enough to go live next year, you know? But our our youth ministry is just going... And it, you know... um, it started with somebody who didn't even go to church here opening their house. It may seem small, right? Well, that's nice. Well, keep in mind, we're in a pandemic, right? So you have that concern. Then you have the issue of, okay, if anybody comes over, uh, teens are known to eat a lot. They tend to beat up anything they touch. 
They tend to smell. <laughs> they tend to have bad attitudes or whatever. What am I getting myself into? Well, she did it. And I'm going to tell you, God just used, the, uh, used that as an opportunity to just make things just start growing and growing and growing to the point that, I mean, we had like more than 60 kids the, fir the first night that we met there, and it's holding the line pretty solid. And last Sunday night, okay, we, they pa we passed out an invitation. At least seven of those teens are going to give their life to Christ in baptism in two weeks. At least seven, yeah. Now, that's, that's like 15% of everybody in the room, okay? And there may be more. Now, where did that start? Did it start with, oh, yeah, we magically found some formula to, you know, bottle that, that is going to lead everybody to just, you know, to this modern-day Pentecost in the youth room? No. Then where it began? It began 10 years ago when there were people who had a vision to start a church and were willing to give what it took to make that happen. And then all of the things that happened, the little acts of giving all the way through, little acts of kindness to certain teenagers, giving teens opportunity to serve that were probably over their head for the time. Parents parenting their kids and giving of themselves to make those kids grow up in the Lord the right way. Watching all of that happen. Other people giving money sacrificially. It took the church being willing to take this voyage and odyssey over the last two and a half years to get to this point. It took people being willing to wait and to be patient and believing that God was going to send the rain at just the right time, you know, and doing all of that. So when you get there and you see it happen, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a astonishingly powerful experience because you stand back and you understand how vibrant and powerful the promises of God really are. They're not hopes. They're not wishes or fireflies. They're promises. And what he promises will be fulfilled. So when he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive, then I need to pay attention to that. I need to listen to that. I need to build my life on that. Now, how do I do that? Giving begins by dying, actually. God starts big. <laughs> All right? It begins by dying to yourself. So that's what baptism is, right? Baptism is, among many other things, in Romans, it's a death and a burial and a resurrection. Your old self going down, dying, your new self being raised. In Galatians, it's being clothed with Christ. In 1 Peter 3, it's a flood. God is using this as a way he destroyed the earth by water before, but now he's actually helping save the world by this cleansing flood in 1 Peter 3. It's, it's not the act itself, he says. It's not the washing of filth from the flesh. It's the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Right. It's the place where you say, it's no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. It's that point and that place. So, brothers and sisters, if you want to join those teams, you got the opportunity. And you know we love the Lord because it's going to be cold in that ocean in December. And I hate being cold, but I will do it for this. <laughs> all right? So if you want to join them, all right, you can do it several different ways. One, you can just go to the website and sign up and we'll contact you. You can come see me. You can see any, any of the staff people that you see and tell them what you want. And we will sit down with you and we'll walk you through it. Okay? Now, I can give you, I could have gone through this sermon, and I could have totally 
giving you every raunchy, sorry story of the last year. And there are plenty of those. Yep. I mean, sad stories. Sad. We'd all be crying for a different reason. And at the same time, is that really what I'm supposed to do as a proclaimer of what's called the gospel, the good news of God? I think we're all grown up to enough to know it ain't all unicorns and rainbows. But that promise that it's more blessed to give than to receive, okay, you can't go wrong with that. So, receiving from God begins by giving your life to him. Then you receive all that he has to give you. There was a young missionary by the name of James Calvert. He went uh, as a missionary to cannibals in the Fiji Islands. So on his way to the ship, the captain tried to actually tell him not to go. He says, oh, they're savages. They're gonna, they could eat you, literally eat you alive. <laughs> and he says, they might eat you, but you could die. So the captain goes, you'll lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. Calvert calmly replied, we died before we came. I go, that's what he's talking about, people. That's what he's talking about. So the question will be, are you going to go ahead and build your life there on the promises of God and get the experience of what this promise does, how it changes human lives? Or be cynical. You can call it something other, thanks something. But let's make it thanksgiving. And I don't know what it would look like for you. Start, it starts by dying. If you haven't done that yet, start there. Number two would be look around you and say, Is God, does God want me to be the widow to some Elijah out there? How can I play a part in what God's trying to do in this world? Pray about it. You know, ask God for those opportunities. And you know what? Your jar is unlikely to run out. Amen. That's been my experience. Now, he's not pouring it into your jar for you. He's pouring it out. If you're willing to give it out to those in need, whether it's verbal, emotional, financial, whatever it may be, that jar is going to stay hot. You can bank on that. Right. So... We're going to gather around the table of the Lord now. And if you want to see an example of the generosity of God, here you go. We call this communion. Uh, on your way in, you should have gotten a little baggie. Uh, if you're not, uh, we're, we've, got some, uh, we've got an usher here that's gonna, willing to give you some. Just put your hand in the air and keep it there. And today, we want to remember the words of Jesus. Uh, we got some down here in the front and center that I recognize. My wife and daughter need some. <laughs> it's all right. They've only been doing this for decades. So there we go. Amen. Amen. And when you take this, you may not be familiar with what this is. Communion is, a, um, is something Christians have been doing since day one of the faith. It's a time where we gather around the table. We take the bread, which represents the body of Jesus, and the cup that represents the blood of Jesus. And we let the words wash over us. It is more blessed to give than receive. And if you need an example of God giving in a way that he loved far more than anything we could ever give him, it's this. Jesus, body and blood. 
given for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, we honor you, we worship you, we adore you. May we find this promise true. Father, keep us from cynicism, things that would choke out our vision of the many, many ways that you have blessed us, Father. Help us to be dealers and dispensers of grace this next week and all, all the way beyond. We love you, Father, and we can't thank you enough for everything that you've done for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.